and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation podcast. Today, we will be exploring the topic of inclusion and emotional inclusion. So important as we move into building these more connected organizations and making them more human. I'm delighted to welcome Molly Rogers Jondadieu, General Manager of Longchamp in Singapore and Malaysia, a keynote speaker, and also the founder of the non for profit Emotional Inclusion in the Workforce. Molly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Susie, for having me on. It's such a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And I'm looking forward to this conversation on a subject that we need to talk more about. So, Molly, you're an advocate, I know, for humanizing the workforce and reconciling your business, and I'm going to say human, but emotions in particular, but also looking at the new paradigm of leadership. So what does that mean in the corporate world? How can we prioritize emotional psychological needs? And how can we change the lens through which we see this subject and through which we act and interact? So I know throughout your career in the fashion industry and listening to hundreds of stories of people who've navigated work, whatever's happening while whilst facing the perfect storm, there's a reality, isn't there, to addressing the subjects in the workplace more explicitly, a quest we both share, but also more operationally. So yes, it enhances business productivity, but also it enhances personal and collective flourishing. So can we start there with a little bit more about your vision for emotional mm-hmm. inclusion at work and why now? Yeah, well, thank you for this lovely introduction and for leading us to the subject matter of emotional inclusion, what it means, right? Because it is a a rather new coin term. So I think within, on the societal front, we are all very versed with what emotional intelligence means. It's a term that was widely popularized by Daniel Goldman. Mm. And when we break down what emotional intelligence means, it really revolves in and around the knowing of how to navigate Mm. our emotions Mm. and the emotions of the people we interact with. Mm. But my question was always, well, where is the doing, right? So it's a great thing to have Mm. emotional intelligence work, but how do we put it into practice? And I realized that we were all sort of dancing in and around inclusion and dancing in and around what emotions uh, meant and how do they fit into the workplace landscape. Mm. And I, I realized that by putting the two together, emotional inclusion, because inclusion is a verb, it's an action, it allowed us to then have, you know, a roadmap mm. of how to put emotions into action. Mm. Um, So combining those two terms, really what emotional inclusion means, it means basically putting emotional intelligence into action. If emotional intelligence is all about the knowing, then emotional inclusion is all about the doing. So Emotional inclusion, I think, in the workplace today is building its gravitas as we're moving forward. But I think that my aha moment, if you will, after, you know, almost two decades in the corporate field was realizing how little Mm. we've progressed, right, within the realm of what it means to be human at work. And I realized that something had to change. And so I I chose to, to again, to bring emotional inclusion to the world mm. in such a way 
that we could have a roadmap of understanding the place of emotions within the workplace. And what I realized, if you will, is that companies that have the luxury of having diversity, equity, and inclusion platforms speak of all kinds of inclusion, Mm. and yet they don't speak about the form of inclusion that is of closest to our humanity and that's our emotional selves mm-hmm. and that's kind of crazy we stop and reflect upon that just in itself is you know to do is to realize how bad of a rep effectively emotions have mm. uh, when in essence they've allowed us to survive and to thrive you know since the beginning of times and they they truly are our inner compass to further spearhead connection and Mm. purpose and creativity Mm. and you know uh, a sense of belonging all together so emotions Mm. in the workplace are the gateway if you will to spearheading overall productivity as a whole Mm, mm. and yet they're so completely swept under the carpet aren't they just and and I love the fact that you talk about it as a gateway because I think DE&I platforms we have opened a bigger discussion and dialogue around inclusion not necessarily emotional inclusion but it's still that intention action gap which is the gap you're filling still remains and we see a lot of people still wearing their masks to work, even though we've got an inclusive environment. I'm going to put that in inverted commas for the moment. And I think it's interesting to look at, we don't go to the messier part of being human, which is the emotions, of course. And we've learned, haven't we, culturally, so national culture in all its glory and differences, but also workplace culture, not to show emotions. And I feel that we've got myths from there, like strong leaders don't show emotions, we have two selves, one at home, one at work. Emotions aren't powerful. That you know, you don't. They, they won't bring anything to the workplace. That will be seen as weakness. And like you say, emotions are our inner compass. But we are emotionally illiterate in the workplace today. Yes. Is, is my observation. And it's interesting to see how we can start deconstructing these beliefs, which are now systemic beliefs in organisations and in society to some extent, around talking about emotions how do we equip people molly to actually talk about emotions in organizations because the higher you go of course the less emotional vocabulary you hear it doesn't mean they don't have it is is my observation but you don't hear it it's yeah no you're and you're spot on i think the the fact in the matter is is that we're so afraid of speaking up and showing our and so we spend most of our lives with our masks of invulner- invulnerability <laughs> on because showing emotions in the workplace equates to weakness and unprofessionalism still that can carry greater risks such as not just being you know labeled and blacklisted if you will but also fired in some cases mm. so the the fear is very present still. And a recent study by Gallup, actually, it was a 2022 study by Gallup, found that 81,396 hours is how long the average person spends working throughout their lifetime. That's a lot. Making sleep the only thing. (laughs) 
It is a lot. Yeah. And, and it makes sleep the only thing we do more than work. So if we allow ourselves to live our lives pretending to be who we aren't because of societal pressure and stigma of what of having emotions and what it means, you know, that's an existential question we all have to ask ourselves. You know, does it sit right with us or not? But at the end of the day, what we can do on an organizational level is spearhead the discussion. And that has to come from the top. Leaders have the lion's share of responsibility in being voices of change and showing that and paving the way and showing that it's okay and beneficial to the organization Mm. to bring our full selves at work. You know, this whole concept of, you know, work-life balance or Mm work-life integration is such a false dichotomy. And so is, you know, this whole concept of leaving our home selves at the doorstep when we enter to, you know, the door of work. You know, there's no such thing as being able to split ourselves in two. Mm. So I think our overdue, you know, in this discussion as to what it means to, again, bring our whole sales at work. So leaders have a lion's share of responsibilities. Diversity, equity, and inclusion platforms have also their own responsibility in bringing forth authentic, mm. uh, and I underline authentic campaigns. There's one campaign that I I love and shell a spearheaded called Uncomfortable Truths, mm. you know, where they, an internal introspection on a campaign level where they asked uh, their own employees, what were the issues they saw uh, mm. within their organization? i.e. at Shell, how could they benefit and or have benefited from a more inclusive mm. ecosystem? And I thought it was very interesting for Shell to point the finger yes. at themselves mm. and look from within instead of pointing the finger to any external sources. So I think authentic campaigns go a long way. They allow also employees and those who are not a part of the organization itself to see the value in working for the said company. Mm. I think we as emotional beings feel when authenticity is at the genesis of a project or Mm. at the genesis of a value structure that a company has. Then I also think that human resources have their fair share of work to be done as well. Absolutely. You know, when it comes to making sure that on an insurance scheme, you know, that they make sure that mental health policies are embedded in the insurance schemes that are proposed to employees and that Mm. that be the status quo, that we stop effectively just thinking it's okay to give basic medical care when we know that the mind, body, and soul are all connected. And that's someone who, for example, is going through cancer. And I've I've had colleagues, you know, who have had to navigate that, you know, while it's working and just watching them go through it and realizing that it was impossible not to go through 
such an illness and not have some measure of clinical or subclinical depression and not allowing on a company level or not giving the aid for that employee to get their work done, but in in a way in which that makes sense for them Mm. within the Mm. scope of their mental state is, I think, a real issue because it affects companies' bottom line. You know, it affects the productivity of the employee. Mm. So, So we're back into another taboo area within emotions, which is it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to say that we're not okay and it's not a weakness and it's the systemic part of, you know, the humanization of, of the workplace, your emotional inclusion program is around, you know, you start by defining it and we look at the stigma. And then I loved the what global leaders have to say in your book, the personal stories around people, particularly higher up in the organization, their personal stories, how they felt, how it shaped who they are. And I think that part of systemic emotional inclusion, so making sure that the system reflects that it's okay and that they have mechanisms to deal with that is really important from a systemic point of view. But the senior leaders, a senior leader's job for me is to create the conditions for people to thrive and for business to thrive. So creating those conditions leads to having these type of conversations, which let's be clear, are uncomfortable and we don't really know what's going to come out of them, but they can change people's lives if you hold a space where they feel heard and where they can put these emotions that they would like to share. How do you see senior leaders navigating that? Because one, it's Mm. uncertain. Two, it's a little bit, well, a lot uncomfortable. And three, it isn't what we do around here in terms of culture today. So how do you see that playing out, Molly? Yeah, I'd like to first address the the first quote you mentioned, it's okay not to be okay. And actually, I love the Perry Noble quote who states, it's okay to to not be okay, but Mm. it's not okay to stay that way. Yes, yeah. And I adore that quote because it couldn't be more on point. And I think that to answer your question, there's a big divide in terms of the leadership pool Mm. today still where you, you know, mental health has become, I would say, pretty high up on the list of priorities, not quite as high as sustainability Mm. yet, but you know, mental health has become a buzzword of sorts. And so what I see is that on one side of the spectrum, you have the leaders who talk about mental health and want to implement mental health, but that stay very uh, surface level and do it really just because it sounds good to talk about mental mm-hmm. health. But when you scratch a little bit further, Nothing is really being done to create pillars Mm. within their organizations so that employees truly feel cared for and heard. And so for me, it's it's, it's still very much an issue. And then you have the leaders who do want to start you know, redefining what mental health within their organization organizations looks like. And then they will implement 24-7 hotlines and make those available to their employees, which are great. You know, in the book, I refer to them as crutches because mm. they're good to have, mm. but they're not enough to, again, create real change from within. So, or they'll put into place mental health barometers, which are anonymous 
questionnaires to try and understand where, you know, the employee pool is at. Mm. But here too, the problem with these questionnaires Mm. is that never really knows, right, uh, if they are fully confidential or not, or they'll propose the coaches for their employees to go to. And the problem with coaches, and I have nothing against coaches, Mm. but here, you know, we, we are whole people and our work selves and our personal selves are intertwined. And there is no confidentiality component. Mm. So which a psychologist has by way of their medical practice and license. So there are gaps here in terms of what those leaders can really do to sustainably create again these mental health pillars within their organizations. Now, you know, through our program, we have a vested interest in making mm. sure that we have psychologists who work directly with organizations and curate plans that are directly linked with their DNA. Mm. Every every company has a culture of its own. But also, you know, it's about making sure that the platform lives and breathes Mm. day in and day out Mm. by getting employees to be a part of what it means to be emotionally included in the Mm. workplace. And so I think there's still so much to be done. And that's why I wrote the book. It's because, you know, you can literally Google any statistic you want in and around mental health, and you get a plethora of information on how how one can promote more mental health in the workplace, but there is no roadmap. That's the truth. You mm. know, that's just where we're at. So I'm not claiming to have the hard and fast truth and, uh, you know, all, all roads lead to Rome. But I, I think the intent behind the book was to provide a roadmap for organizations and leaders alike who do want to make a serious difference within their organizations and give them the steps that perhaps could mm. get them started mm. on that path. Mm. But there is you, a clear difference. Yeah. And as you said, I like the fact in your book that every chapter there are key takeaways, which are essentially key takeaways either for me as an individual leader or for me as a, with my team and, and creating conditions in a in a more collective environment. And I love the idea of corporate leadership vulnerability can, and the idea of leaders taking a pledge. Can you walk us through that? Because that really struck me, Molly. And I think it's one of the things I can do now as an individual leader. And I can also do as a collective with my peers around pledging to role model behaviours that yeah. will lead to psychological safety. If I come back to Amy Edmondson, I know that, that she wrote the forward to your book, but around creating a learning organisation with the right kind of wrong, if I take her new work around you know, creating that those conditions where we can have those conversations in a safe space. You gave me goosebumps. I think there's such gravitas in and around corporate leadership vulnerability. It's a mouthful, but I think <laughs> we all we all owe it to the humanity of the individuals we employ mm. to be authentic with them. And here's the thing: as leaders. If we just expect for our employees to be 
vulnerable <laughs> with us, mm. it's simply not going to work. It has to be a two-way street. And I uh, experienced that many times throughout my career and just recently. So as I was navigating my own divorce mm. and when I felt that it was time that or when I felt ready to talk about it, you know, at work and share it with my employees so that they also knew, ah, well, you know, if I'm a bit absent-minded or if I appear disengaged at mm. any given because I am human too. Well, here's why. And the beautiful thing about that is that when I did open up, I was received with such empathy, but it was such a, a degree of a receptiveness in that they then too felt open enough to share with me their trials and tribulations. Not all mm. employees, a lot to, and can I just tell you, it just creates such a more authentic feel and tone to what teamness is all yes. about. Yeah. And uh, you were referring to psychological safety, which Amy Edmondson is the brilliant originator mm-hmm. of, and I have so much respect for her body of work. And indeed, yeah. she just uh, uh, she just uh, published or her eighth book rather was just published and mm-hmm. The right kind of wrong, which is a phenomenal book, and yes, I encourage everyone is. to read it. Mm. But you know, I, I think the psychological safety, the ability to speak up and not be not be judged and not, you know, and, and, and know that, you know, one is in a safe place to be who mm. one is mm. is key. And so that how that is done is through, of course, for leaders again who have, as I was mentioning earlier, the lion's share of responsibility to breed ecosystems where they are walking their talk mm. and uh, and paving the way, if you will, for their employees mm. to do the same. Mm. And that's not easy, is it? I mean, I remember getting feedback once from my team that, you know, it was great, they felt included, the team environment was great, but they wondered if I could manage emotional conversations. And I was really offended by that, Molly. I was like, of course I can manage emotional conversation. But I had to get real with the fact that that wasn't their perception. And therefore, Mm. the intention-action gap, you know, there was something missing from my story, from my vulnerability, from my way of leading that was cutting them off from sharing certain uh, connections with me. You know, what you were saying about sharing a more personal story with your team or your peers the first thing is the sort of shame trigger, isn't it? It's like, oh, what are, what are they going to think? I'm meant to be this big leader. And then you go into that space that you've just described, which is actually they're probably quite reassured that you're human and they feel closer to you. And then, you know, you create a different type of relationship, don't you? And I think it's interesting to see how you can scale that, which was one of my questions, because inclusion is a journey and it needs to be systemic. But to make it, how can we make it? systemic how can we make that type of conditions of work environment systemic well i think we need to shout out and continue to to spread uh you know the degree of education mm. in and around the fact that emotionally inclusive and psychologically safe ecosystems yeah 
allow there to be greater overall performance, if you will, on an engagement level, on a productivity level, on a recruitment level. And, you know, the numbers speak for for themselves. Mm. So Mm. here too, we're not talking about an airy-fairy concept. You know, if anything, you know, I'm proud that Amy has endorsed my work with emotional inclusion, but you know, the fact is, is that she has done an extensive amount of research in and around psychological safety on her end. She's written something like 72 or 73 Mm. case studies Mm. with eight books and, Mm. uh, and to her name. And she herself mentioned that, you know, uh, the workplaces that have both psychological safety and emotional inclusion will make it possible for everybody or everyone to contribute and thrive. Mm. And I think that's a very bold statement of her to have made, Mm. but I believe it to be true uh, in the sense where I think if we stop hiding behind archaic ways of working Mm. and that we start acknowledging each other's humanness fully, Then and only then will we be able to see how productive and how our bottom lines truly benefit from it. Mm. You have these few leaders globally who understand that. Sir Richard Branson comes to my mind, for example, from first. He's one who's understood this for decades. I mean, we're not reinventing the wheel. You know, this is not rocket science. But the fact is that we're still having to have this discussion. And, you know, I touch upon the fact in the book here too, but how little we've progressed since the Industrial Revolution, Mm. right? Which was just 200 years ago. Mm. So yes, you know, we've advanced on sanitary conditions and workplace sort of, you know, overall mainly on the sanitary conditions, if you will, at this stage and, and workplace well, uh, uh, workplace sort of organization. But we've progressed so little mm. when it comes to emotional wellness and what that looks like and how that fits into the equation of our modern day mm. a workplace. I think that that's going to backfire for the companies that refuse to look at it at face value. Yeah. Because if anything, COVID has brought a big mirror of humanity in front yeah. of all of us. Yeah. It's changed, you know, the silver lining is perhaps been that it's changed the equation to some degree where people are sick and tired mm. of having to fit in a very antiquated workplace. They're done, mm. you know, mm. and that's how movements are when yes. enough people come together and say enough. <laughs> mm. Mm. I like the idea of a movement because it is about that, because I think education is just the first step. And mm-hmm. I ask myself the question, if we educate, in inverted commas, everybody on emotional inclusion, emotional literacy, regulation, what that means for people, then what? So how how do we put it in the system? And I think it's important that we don't fall into the trap of putting objectives on it and therefore it just becomes another tick box exercise and so how do you see that uh molly particularly at senior leadership levels of how do we get from education to action and make sure that it 
it is something that becomes the way we do things around here in this culture without it falling right. into tick, 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 which is my my fear is that it falls into this. We've got an app. It's fine. Uh, I've had a conversation or at least I feel I've had a conversation tick. It's fine. Yeah. And you remind me of a conversation I had with the Asia Pacific head uh, hum, of, human re- of human resources at Sephora. And we were having this discussion in and around diversity, equity, and inclusion platforms, Mm. which have become a little bit of what you're saying. It's all about taking boxes. Yes. But how much of it is is really, truly authentic at the end of the day. The interesting thing about emotional inclusion is that you can't just tick the box and say that it's resolved or that you've done everything you could to embed it within the culture of your company Mm. because your people, your employees will be effectively your barometer, right? In that respect. I think what leaders have to do is to make sure that they provide the proper resources on a longstanding level. Mm. So I was mentioning mental health care policies it's making uh, i was mentioning therapists Mm. who are available for employees anonymously but who on a macro scale get the overall feel and tone of what is going on and on an emotional scale within the company and Mm. by definition can then provide workshops can then Mm. provide you know material, academic material that can come and feed employees in terms of their learnings and who can also speak to the leader at stake and say, well, let's organize a wellness day when they feel that there is an exhaustion peak at Mm -hmm. a certain given time. You know, the culture there in and around emotional inclusion is living and breathing on a daily level. And then of course, as you know, I was mentioning DEI campaigns, but I, I think that those those are really key in bringing in employees at all levels of the organization to gauge how they are feeling, how happy they are effectively within the realm of their organizations, and to not sugarcoat their messages yes. for the sake of of sounding good and i think a lot of companies are doing that and that's that's a risk factor but but ultimately Susie, you know i really think that this isn't something that we can pretend our way no out no absolutely not yeah yeah uh, people especially our gen zers mm. will not come and work for a company unless they truly feel that the company at stake is walking their talk Mm. within the realms that they are advocating, that it be sustainability, that it be, you know, mental health, whichever arena it is. They certainly won't go and work for companies that don't, but companies who do actually manage to recruit because, uh, you know, you have these now buy-in bonuses. So, Mm. you know, really want candidates if a company really wants a candidate so they'll they'll have the these onboarding bonuses to lure them in but they won't keep them long mm. you know 
And, and that's always the gauger engagement, yeah. rich recruitment, and you know overall productivity. And of course, you know I always allude to sick days as burnout days because that's really what they are. You know, uh, for the most part, people are just, especially you know now, people are just tired of of being treated like robots. Yes, we yeah. are hired for old selves and then we arrive and we are squeezed like lemons uh, with regards to making sure that we take all of our KPIs. It still just it doesn't make sense. And so I think how to make for emotional inclusion to have a seat at the table long term isn't just a one-pronged approach. No. It's an organizational approach. It's not just the leader. It's not just the DEI department. It's not just the HR mm-hmm. uh, department. It's not just the employees themselves. I think the employees, you know, where their where their responsibility lies is to not be afraid mm-hmm. of speaking up. I think that that's still very much at the center of how you know employees are socially sort of trained to to be right don't speak up uh, mm. i think we all need to be bold we all need to be brave knowing that we play a part each and individually play you know and we all play a part in being uh in being the change in this mm. field because we owe it to you know our children and to the generations to come and we have we all have personal agency, don't we? Wherever we sit in an organization as individuals, we have personal agency to step over our fear, but also to support other people. If I look at some of the difficult conversations, situations I've lived and I've seen in organizations, and I continue to see where people are just they just clam up because they they don't dare or you know, people are being quite aggressive or and there I have agency to step in and be an ally for that, don't I, emotionally, in terms of opening a different discussion. And and I think that as an explicit part of onboarding for employees and leaders, but I'm going to take the definition of self-leadership, you know, not just a, a box on an org chart, that that will actually start some systemic grassroots movement around thinking, acting, and talking differently about emotions. It's interesting to say you touched on the, the subject of legacy. What? How do you see your legacy through this work, Molly. I mean, it's a brilliant piece of work, much needed. There's lots to do, as you said, and we need to engage people in in doing it and in getting their personal agency in there. How do you see your your legacy moving forward in this emotional inclusion part? Well, thanks, Susie. I think it's been a hard endeavor Mm. in it. But when I see how direly needed it is in the workplace, you know, through navigating my own stories, but through hearing hundreds upon hundreds of stories of individuals who have navigated a hard time in an ecosystem where they were not being cared for the way Mm. they should have. I realized it couldn't continue. I don't know if it's so much about my legacy, but just as much as wanting it to no longer be a subject of discussion mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what it means to be human at work, what it means to be emotional 
creatures and mm. how that is profoundly, you know, our superpower, you know, and effectively, as alluded earlier, allowing for the our future generations to not even have to, you know, question what it yes. means to yeah. go to work and not be who they are. So I think really essentially it's relooking the 21st century and beyond workplace and being able to move forward Mm. from where we are at today, which is again, still very archaic. And we've progressed, as mentioned earlier, so little since the industrial Mm. revolution. I just hope we don't have to wait, you know, another (laughs) century or so. No, to uh, to to mark that change, but I think that's our individual duty, and I'm going to use the word duty to make sure, particularly for the generations coming, that that this isn't the discussion. That I like the way you say, you know, we need to embrace the mess. You know, you, we are messy humans, and maybe, you know, I'm hoping and I'm hopeful that ten years from now we may not be having this discussion about having to set up that discussion. But that that yeah. discussion may be part of, as you said, the way we go to work uh, and the way we we are human at work, because we're always going to be human at work, even more so as technology gets more and more and more evolved. What keeps us human for me is going to be what keeps us relevant, which is why I love the work on emotional inclusion, because that is essentially the humanity of who we are. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think we have an opportunity, a massive one to make a difference here and to actually change the course of how we talk about these things. So it, it's, think. yeah, it's, it would be interesting. My language, Susie. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it would be, uh, this is a really hard question. If, but yeah. if you had one call to action, Molly, for our listeners, what would it be on embracing the mess and moving forward? Because everybody, absolutely everybody has the power to do something on this subject is, is my, is my belief. I would say, I think uh, off the top of my head and what comes to me instantly is don't fall into the trap of false assumptions, Mm. you know, and I think, you know, we're all wired to do that when it comes to having an opinion on people. I would say within the realm of emotional inclusion and embracing the mess, understanding the fact that we don't know anything about anyone unless we ask the question and, and we get an honest answer, which is not always the case because we all know what we get when we ask the question, how are you? You know, uh, we get the same answers all the time. And even if we try and sometimes ask, a you know, scratch a little bit more and try and get more answers, not everyone is ready to talk. So I think the realm of false assumption is is really a big starting point for me Mm. and and within the realm of of EI capital E lowercase I to yeah. differentiate <laughs> to differentiate it from 
AI, capital E, capital I, emotional intelligence. Yeah, that would be it. Excellent. I'm going. I'm going to leave our listeners with that thought of false assumptions and just actually stepping back a little bit and daring to use the F word. What am I feeling? What is it about? Mm. Okay. Molly, thank you. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your stories, your research and your approach. Where can people find out more about you, about emotional inclusion and and the program in general? Thank you so much. Well, people can find me at emotionalinclusion.com or on LinkedIn at Molly Rogers Chantadieu. Or they can find me on Amazon International, where I have my book, Emotional Inclusion, A Humanizing Revolution at One. Excellent. And I look forward to interacting with anyone who who chooses to reach out. Excellent. Thank you. And I would invite you all to read the book and use the key takeaways as a blueprint and a plan for action for moving the subject forward. Thank you, Molly. Thank you for a great conversation. Thank you, Susie. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Bye-bye.